0: Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick, or Patimaro, and back due to popular demand, scourge of the drafting Cues, hats on lamps. It's episode 38. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week we're going to talk about how our draft week went, some announcements, card of the week, seven win run breakdown. Our main topic, a choice of choices, where we rank the choice spells. So to begin, uh, hats. How was your draft week?
1: Hi. Uh, it was okay. Uh, it was some up, some down, quite a roller coaster, and I, I don't know exactly. Uh, uh, I don't know exactly what to say about it. I was ranked three. Uh, at the beginning of the week, and then I played a little bit over the weekend, and and dropped precipitously. So I'm, uh, I'm not sure exactly where I'm ranked now. Somewhere in the 70s or 80s or something. But whatever edge I had uh, seems to have been polished off. Like uh, <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what happened. Uh, I think the the game has become a lot more competitive. I think I was taking the game too seriously perhaps, and I don't play as well when I'm taking the game very seriously. Uh, it's it's paradoxical that way. I think when I'm more relaxed and having fun, I, I make better decisions. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm less prone to tunnel vision. Uh, but then, just over the last few days, I've started winning again. I'm not getting as many seven-win drafts as I used to, but I am pretty consistently getting four to six-win drafts, and uh, that's reasonable. I can't complain about that. And I guess I'm not getting very many train wrecks at all. It's very rare for me to go zero or one wins. Uh, so again, can't complain. I'm, I'm, I'm playing pretty consistently, and I've started to have more fun with the game again after a period of taking it much too seriously and, uh, and, and getting quite grim about it. And I think this is something that that a lot of the people in the Farming Eternal Discord have experienced, too. There there's been a a sort of a a rash of of rants, angry rants about the format recently. Uh, And they've all come down to this sort of uh, increased competitive environment that has has made some of us who are used to doing quite well uh, have to struggle quite a bit more. And, mm-hmm. and, now we're, and now we're in a situation where we have to go back to basics and, and really uh, sort of come to terms with variance and the fact that a lot of our opponents are going to be a lot stronger than they used to be. To touch on one thing you
0: said, so when you said you felt like you lost your edge, did you mean in your play or did you mean in sort of your understanding of
1: the format compared to other players? Uh, I think mostly compared to other players. I feel like I had an advantage early in the format, uh, and I'm not sure exactly why, but maybe I just had a grasp of what the strong factions were and and what the strong cards were early on. And then uh, then the field caught up to me and passed me, so that now my understanding maybe uh, has plateaued and there's people doing things with the format that I don't even totally understand yet. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm eager to learn. I like to, I like to think that when I get beaten by an unusual strategy, no matter how odd or inconsistent it seems to me, that I can learn from what happened there. Maybe not know how they got into that deck, but know that that's something else that you can do with the format and you can be successful that way.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting because I think we have been so far pretty on the same page with the format and what cards have been good or bad. And obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about Cambrai these last um, few weeks. And in our spreadsheet, um, Cambrai has been doing very well. But the an interesting sort of discussion I saw on Discord today, I didn't read the whole thing, but um, uh, Allison was talking about how she saw Isomorphic recently pick a blood wolf over a teething whelp because she and Isomorphic both felt that Fire was near unplayable in the format.
1: Yes, that's interesting because uh, two episodes ago, that's more or less what I was saying uh, back when I was playing really well, but I hadn't really thought too deeply about why. Um And I was saying, well, I haven't been drawn to fire in this format because my early experiments with it weren't successful and I don't really know how to draft it successfully. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've drafted fire and had some success here and there. But my initial instinct about it, I think, was pretty close to what Allison and Isomorphic are saying now, which is that it's a tough faction to make a powerful deck in. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not impossible, clearly. Uh, especially if you're in Oni's and you get the the really good Ricano deck going, um, or a very very effective Stone Scar deck where you have a lot of good sacrifice synergy and dragons, those can be very good decks. But I think inherently the fire cards are a little bit underpowered compared to some of the other compared to the other factions. Certainly yeah. compared to um, the Cambrai colors, and well, uh, yeah, I mean compared to all of them, really. <laughs> I think the high end like when you like the most powerful fire decks are not going to be as good as the most powerful decks of other colors in general. There's always uh, exceptions.
0: See that that's um interesting cuz I I what I was thinking as you were talking about this and just thinking about it in general is I wonder if fire's problem is that it's more feast or famine. And I I guess I was thinking that A little bit in order to explain why fire has been doing so well in the deck lists that we receive so you know fire is the third strongest faction it's not that far behind uh, time and justice as far as numbers of seven win decks we received so I want I was thinking it's maybe fire is kind of this like only or bust strategy so it's can be very powerful but if you're not, if you don't get that right deck, then maybe it just doesn't have the depth to, like, make other
1: good decks. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair to say. Uh, and and that probably completely contradicts what I just said about it, too. But I think that's closer to being correct. <laughs> Is that it's, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, it's a very nuanced thing, you know, um, I've. Uh, like teething whelp is a really good example because it's clearly a very very powerful card and i've had many games where uh uh, where i managed to get a a turn two teething whelp to win the entire game for me so i had a deck with three teething whelps in it which i thought was a really great thing for a deck to be was (laughs) a deck with three teething whelps in it and i backed that up with cards that could definitely get those teething whelps in like a lot of uh, a lot of pump spells and and ways to get those, those teething whelps in. It was a stone scar deck, and I also had a couple of the, um, I don't remember what they're called, but the shadow two drops that turns into a 4-4 four four if it infiltrates. And so I had five two drops that basically win the game if they manage to attack once. And that deck did not do well. <laughs> it, it was not a successful deck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that was because I just didn't have, wasn't able to come up with enough support in those colors to make that game plan happen consistently. It wasn't as powerful as what my opponents were doing. So the free wins that you get off of making those two drops uh, make contact in the first place uh, wasn't good enough to combat Combre decks that are casting three threes on turn two. And two twos that turn into six sixes on turn six, and the other things that the more powerful decks are doing. So uh, it's anecdotal, but uh, that that has been my experience is you get a few free wins in fire if if your opponent can't deal with what you're doing, but they're very but it's very swingy. Mm-hmm.
0: I I feel like my view is colored by the fact that I've had slightly more success with fire decks, and maybe it's maybe it's I'm. It's mostly because uh, two weeks ago, uh, before we recorded last podcast, I was having a lot of success with <laughs> fire in my decks. And then this past week, I've been having no success. So maybe that's causing me to over-evaluate fire a little bit, but I don't know. I, I just, I still don't know if, like, I, I, I guess I still don't feel fire being worse than, say, Shadow or Primal. As, as a,
1: a primary colors and like one of not a splash. I, I don't know if it's worse than primal. Uh, I I've had a lot more success recently with primal being a main color than I have with fire being a main color. Mm-hmm. But just because of of, of variance in the way this game works, uh, I can have a very strong impression of how the format works and what cards are powerful and which strategies are powerful that can that can completely fail me the next week that i play or the next few games that i play uh that just seems to be part of the texture of the game there's not really any limit to the depth to which you can understand a draft format here Mm -hmm. and uh and that's good that's the sign of a healthy game or it's the sign of a game with too many variables where you can't clearly understand it but i think in this case it's more on the healthy side
0: All right, so as for my draft week, it's not been a very good week. I sort of hinted at that uh, a little bit. But but yeah, I don't want to go into too many bad beat stories, but it felt like...
1: (laughs) But everyone loves a couple bad beat stories. (laughs) But it feels like absolutely
0: nothing was going my way. I was kind of talking to you offline, or not on the podcast about this, but I kept building my decks around you know, a couple cards, like I had two decks that had two green stretch empaths and a bunch of ways of triggering green stretch empath and just like would never in nine games, I drew a single green stretch empath. So I went, um, those drafts didn't go very well. And I just had like a lot of decks like that, where it just seemed like, I don't know, nothing went right. So in my, (laughs) so I've had just a lot of one, one win and two win drafts this past week and it was kind of sad too because Friday it was so cold here I had like a lot of time to draft so I got to play like four drafts and they were all just miserable and just made me <laughs> angrier, <laughs> angrier yeah. just the day went on, but I finally I drafted um this last draft was a Combre draft and it was just like one of those dream drafts where I got offered like six uh Longhorns I got past a Kimmy. I got past an Arma- the Armadillo guy, the Endurance. I got a Shenra Speaks. So I've been doing pretty well with that. And it seems my luck has turned around. So that was pretty good. In the last game, I'm 6-1 with the deck. And in my last game, I was dead on board. My opponent had... I was at 3 life. My opponent had 2 flyers, each with 3 attack. And all I had was a draw strength in hand. And all my attacks would have put me one point short of killing them. Sure. And and so I was like, oh, shoot. I'm like, "I there's nothing, like, I would have to, I was like, I'm really in trouble because there's nothing I could draw that could, like, really win me the game. And then my opponent was, like, stalling and stalling, and then they played uh, Snapping Hydrangea, (laughs) <laughs> which gave me four extra attackers.
1: Right, that's and just what you needed. I just
0: Ace based on my turn in one instead of them just not playing anything and then killing me the next turn. So that was great.
1: That's yeah. a great bad beat story for your opponent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, oh, I shouldn't have done that. No, we. This was the first card we
0: actually spoke about on the pod, the podcast for the new format. Because it was like a pack one, pick one in the draft. Or we didn't pick it, but it was one of the options. And You think it could possibly be good, but I, I don't think it's ever really been good.
1: No, it's hard to imagine a situation where the snapping hydrangea ever actually gets through. Yeah. There's not a lot of help for it unless you're drafting a very specific deck i think if it was if we were still in the format with the cannon hellfire cannon whatever the thing that gives you overwhelm and doubles the attack power and and you were commonly seeing those things still uh then it it would be better Uh, but there's not a lot of effects that are going to give your two power five five overwhelm and you really need that I can imagine a world where you give it flying from a, a long-tail cavalry or something, but it's, it's a lot of hoops to jump through for the price of giving your opponent a whole lot of attack power on their board.
0: Yeah, and part of the problem with all of those plans is, like, all the cards you mentioned are very expensive cards. Yeah, they are. So it's not like you're taking advantage of the fact that you played this 5-5 on turn two, really. Nope. So, yeah, so it's still a bad card. But I'm, I'm hoping things are looking up, and I'm hoping I get after-podcast rub-off glow so that my next draft does well, too.
1: Well, I'll see what I can do about sending positive draft energy your way through this conversation. But I don't know how much magic I have in me currently.
0: All right, so now let's move on to announcements.
1: So the first thing we always do each week
0: is—well, um, the first thing we do in this segment is thank all of our patrons— so once again, thank you for helping us make this show possible. Uh, if you would like to join the Patreon, uh, you can check that out at patreon.com slash farmingeternal. Uh, so thank you to Titus and Blossom, parmalee Tokut, Darth Herman II, Twin Hex, Marshall, Cassandra, Jed the Homered, Raven Dragon, Esrich0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistau. And then our other big announcement, and I had been kind of waiting for Ben to um, say his farewell on Discord, which he did the other day, but uh, Hats on Lamps is taking over as a co-host for the show, at least for the time being. He keeps claiming that he gets bored of the format and then quits Eternal, so I'm hoping that doesn't happen for a while, but uh, I'm excited to have him for as long as he stays. And I'm excited to be here. This is a lot of fun. Uh, we we've been getting a lot of positive feedback on the last two episodes. So give him a shout out in uh, in Discord and say hello to our new co-host. So thanks again for taking on this or taking this on.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I've been getting a few people in game uh, uh, contacting me and and telling me that they've enjoyed the episodes too, and uh, that makes me feel good. Keep doing that, uh, people who are friends with me in eternal uh it's uh this it's it's very nice
0: this kills me this you yeah. are the third co-host of this podcast who has said all of these people friended them in game
1: and said, hello. <laughs> no one ever friends me oh no, these are people who are already friends with me Okay. Uh, I don't know how many people you friend in-game, but I, I've gradually accumulated a friends list from just, like, friending people after good draft games and uh, and saying hi. Okay. So I think that's part of it. Okay. A lot of the people that I see show up on, on the Farming Eternal Discord later are people that I was already friends with after a good draft <laughs> game on in the game.
0: Okay, okay. I accept all friend requests, but no one ever friends me. I don't know. <laughs>
1: i'm not saying it always happens uh it's 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 uh, it's been a gradual yeah it's been a gradual uh all right so move on to card of the week yes please yeah so what's your card of the week uh my card of the week is yeti griffin rider uh so yeti griffin rider is a two power primal unit uh it is a one one flyer with berserk uh which means that it uh, on a turn of your choice, when it attacks, you can have it attack twice, uh, and then for the rest of the game it has Reckless and has <sighs> to keep attacking. It also has a Mastery 3, which gives it a plus 1, plus 1. So once it's done 3 damage, uh, it becomes a 2, 2 flyer. Uh, this card is... Uh, it's 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 been hard to evaluate for me, uh, because it doesn't look that great by itself, um, but it is Primal's... Uh, to drop other than the Evangel, mm-hmm. and uh, it feels to me, it's always felt to me like it should have a use, um, and I think it's a difficult card to play well, but what made me choose it this week is that I've had some success drafting aggressive Skycrag strategies. I haven't had a seven-win deck with this yet, but I've drafted it three times and all three times I've had from four to six wins with it, which suggests that it's a strong archetype if I can figure out how to do it properly. Um, and what binds the archetype together is that is that Yeti Griffin Rider has Berserk, and there's a lot of ways to temporarily increase the power of your, uh, of your units in fire. So you can go from having a little 1-1 flyer that's pecking away to having a big game-ending flyer with a Hellfire rifle on it that suddenly does 13 damage. It sounds like it would be an inconsistent plan, but it's surprisingly good because you can be pretty behind on board and then suddenly win. Uh, the other card is Relentless Combatant, which is the two, three for four in fire that has Berserk and uh, I think a Mastery of Eight that gives it plus two, plus two, but uh, that's less relevant than the actual Berserk ability. Right. Uh, that's one where uh, you can suddenly do a lot of damage with it um, if that's your intention. It's not really a good card to just throw into a regular tempo or value deck because it's very small for its cost. But if the whole uh, if the whole game plan is to blitz your opponent with a whole bunch of damage in one turn, uh, then it does exactly what you want it to do.
0: Yeah, I I've been experimenting a little bit with Yeti Griffin riders, sort of based on our conversation last week, where you said sometimes you just need to try to che- cheese wins out. So I was kind of getting to that point this week. Um, <laughs> and <laughs>
1: <laughs> and <laughs> Screw all you people! I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna blitz you with Yeti Griffin riders.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, was, I I drafted two. Uh, this is a another example back to my bad beat stories yeah in uh i drafted two decks that had both had two blood of macars in it and a ton i had one deck with two blood of macars two yeti griffin riders three unkindnesses and i'm like how can this deck lose <laughs> <laughs> it lost a lot It lost, yeah <laughs> but uh yeah, I do think there is potential. I I have not personally had luck kind of drafting those kind of strategies. It just seems like you there's a lot of, you know, like Blood of Makar, like you were saying, there's a lot of good fire weapons that can really take advantage of this like evasive Berserk unit.
1: Um. There's another card that sort of ties down that archetype, which is uh, it's the blue card. It's an uncommon. I think it's called Brutish Interloper. It's a two four with Reckless for three, mm-hmm. and it has a couple of mastery abilities. One gives it plus one plus one uh, and Overwhelm, and the next one gives it uh, like some astronomical power boost and uh, and and Berserk. It's a weird card for primal because normally when you're drafting primal, you want to stabilize and then do crazy things with muster or flyers. And so you don't want a card that only can attack. But if your whole game plan is to make one unit powerful enough to win the game on its own, Brutish Interloper is a terrific card uh, because that's all it does. Mm -hmm. is it's it's the whole design of the card is to eventually win the game on its own if it gets to keep attacking so it works into the strategy really really well if you have a couple of pump spells to make it hard to kill and it's hard to kill a two four for three uh then then sometimes that's it that's all you have to do
0: all right well so that is i think a, a deck for everyone to keep their eye on um and it hasn't yeti griffin rider hasn't been doing that bad in our sheets it's uh It's about it's a one in our sort of normalized metric, which means it's it's appearing about as often as you would expect a random comment in primal to appear. So so some people are playing it. Um, And I think, like you said, if you can get creative
1: and figure out uses for it, I think the power, the power is there. I think my favorite thing about the card, though, is watching the confusion in my opponents uh, about <laughs> how to play with it. Like, they, it seems it's very difficult for them to figure out whether they should berserk the thing or not. <laughs> like, when is it on turn two so that it can get the mastery bonus on that turn? Should I wait until it's a 2-2 and then berserk it? Yeah. Maybe I should click on it a whole bunch of times and then, and then hit attack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let fate decide. Uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So so what's your card of the week? My card is Wanted Poster, which is the two-justice curse that says when when the cursed unit dies, draw two cards. I just want to hear what your thoughts are on, on this card. Because I've been playing this a lot in Expedition, so I feel like I have sort of the constructed bias going with this card. Where I see it a lot in draft and I always want to pick it. But then I stop myself and think, this can't possibly be good in draft. But there are some curse decks, there are some curse synergies. So maybe it's better than than I think it is. Because it really does seem like it's unplayable
1: in draft. It does seem that way. I'm never too sad to see someone uh, put a wanted poster on one of my units. Because then they're just telling me, hey don't let your unit die. And my thought, my first thought is, okay, I, I didn't want it to die anyway. So yes. we're both on the same page, you and me opponent.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing that has made me question that initial evaluation a little bit is, you know, we talked a little bit about inflict consciousness and how that is kind of like a surprisingly more effective removal spell than you would think it would be. And while wanted posts are obviously doesn't kill the unit when it deals damage it kind of has that um uh this is a magic term but like that pacifism effect a little bit where it's it sort of takes a unit out of combat because they they don't actually want
1: it to die in a profitable way for you it does uh it does have that effect and i think being part of being a good player in a limited format is evaluating whether it's okay for the creature to die anyway uh, Mm -hmm. and just let them draw the two cards because they're really only drawing one extra card off of the deal they had to use the uh the wanted poster in the first place and uh so that's just a a a judgment call Uh, maybe maybe it's okay uh for them to just uh Draw those cards, uh, they get their value, and you get to use your unit as it was intended and trade with something. Or if your unit was really very threatening, which is sometimes the kind of unit that gets a wanted poster put on it, then whatever resources they have to put into killing that thing, it's still worth them drawing those two cards. So I still think it's not a, that effective a card in Limited most of the time. But there's one huge exception, which we're going to be talking about later when we talk about the choice cards. Yes.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it turns out, I after I picked this as my card, I looked more into our spreadsheet and it seems like the public agrees in general, too. It is not a very good card. There's only been nine of them out of 172 Justice decks. So... It's well below replacement level, and it doesn't seem to be in a lot of winning decks.
1: I mean, any card that has <clears throat> exactly zero effect on uh, the board state, mm-hmm. it has to be looked at as being a marginal card. Uh, and 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 wanted poster, other than activating a handful of curse synergies, does absolutely nothing to the board unless um, you have a reliable way of killing the thing.
0: Yeah. And I think it this is further benefit, I don't know if this is maybe just true of Eternal draft formats in general, or at least the it's been my impression of the draft formats that I've played heavily is that like draw to like Wisdom of the Elders just has yet to be a good card in in any of the draft formats that I've played in Eternal and You know, wanted poster while cheaper is a lot more situational. And so I'm just wondering if there's something to the design of the eternal draft formats that causes like drawing cards in that way to take time off to draw cards to not be as effective as it say might be in magic, where there have been some magic formats where divination has been good. And I feel like that is less true of eternal.
1: It does feel that way. It's it's harder to see the direct benefit of, of uh, card advantage here than it was in Magic. Uh, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, but uh, and I don't have a firm opinion on this. I would still play a draw two card in in a limited format here, uh, but I I wouldn't prioritize it as high as uh, as a good threat or good removal. Mm-hmm. And there definitely were formats. In in Magic, there were draft formats in Magic where draw twos were very good because you always had time to take advantage of the value. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's ever been true in a Eternal format. uh They're all pretty. They're all pretty tempoy or or bomb oriented. Yeah, or evasion oriented. So that the individual card, like the the, the card advantage, is harder to harder mm-hmm. to actually take advantage of.
0: Yeah, compared to the tempo loss. I agree. So that ends our card of the week. So we'll move to our seven win run breakdown segment. And so this is part of our longstanding data collection project here at Farming Eternal, uh, where our listeners mail us their seven win decklist to farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them to their seven win channel on the Farming Eternal discord, where you can send in an exported deck list or any kind of eternal war cry link. Then we take, this inform- we take this information, we compile it into a couple spreadsheets, and we do a little bit of data analysis on it to sort of draw conclusions about how the format's going, and so that we can share these conclusions with our listeners. So part of uh, the benefit of sending in a deck list to us is that you get to listen to me read your name. And as always, thanks to John Holio for actually being the one to enter all the lists. So our new contributors this week is uh, S- Steve Irwin, Jeremiah S, Joseph C, Tarzan, Charmish, Scalp-Alexis, The Magic Order. And then our veteran contributors are Agent Dynamo, Allison, Ben Grasher, Camomilk, Collector, Darth Herman II, Hats on Lamps, Jedi EJ, John Holio, Cassandra, Kidlit1490, mancio 1982, Mercio Blue, Nothership, Out on a Limb, Parmalee, Raven Dragon, Roofer, Rich 0215, Spiffy Man, Starstorm, Stevie London, Tall Shark and Handsome and Yam Yam. Thank you again for taking the time to send in those lists. So, uh the one thing I wanted to talk about really quick, um and this kind of hits nicely to our fire conversation we talked about earlier. And we'll uh, connect to our main topic. But I just wanted to go over the the 10 common dual faction cards really quickly. So, um, and just the ordering that they are appearing. So the top three right now, and these are all actually appearing where there's more than, we're averaging more than one copy per deck. And that is Acclaimed Artisan, Intrepid Longhorn, and Champion Grappler. So Acclaimed Artisan is far and away our number one, the most important. What I'm saying is like this card, for example, we have 98 of them out of 79 rakano decks. And so that's what that's saying is rakano decks, all the rakano decks that are doing well have a lot of Acclaimed Artisans in them. And uh, the same is true with Intrepid Longhorn where out of the 95 Cambrai Ducks, we have 106 Intrepid Longhorns. So once again, just obviously a powerful card, and it's a reason to get into Cambrai. So it makes sense. Then we go down to Wretched Raven is another one. That's sort of, these four cards are actually sort of in a tier of themselves, the Acclaimed Artisan, Intrepid Longhorn, Champion Grappler, and Wretched Raven. And then there's a big drop in how often you see the rest of the cards, um, so, they're all doing well in the spreadsheet, and we're seeing a lot of the cards in the decks, which makes sense because uh, if you, for example, are in a Stonescar deck, you're probably going to play a Cinder Dragon. But not all Stone, S- Stone Scar decks, for example, are playing Cinder Dragons, which is kind of interesting. So, the, the next, the rest of them uh, Cinder Dragon, M- Misery Walker, Nahid's Faithful, Wonderlust Kirin. Wyzen Crone, and Alizo's Elite don't seem to be as important to their archetype as uh, the those top four are. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. I think the Cinder Dragon is sort of the most interesting one of those because it's obviously a good card, but... Uh, I don't prioritize it that highly, especially in the first pack, while I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. Because if mm-hmm. you end up with a whole bunch of Cinder Dragons in your deck, then you're working with something that's very slow. Whereas if you end up with a whole bunch of Intrepid Longhorns in your deck, great. Yes. <laughs> There's no limit to the number of Intrepid Longhorns you want to dump on the board because even if you like they 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 continue to be. Uh, at least something that um i mean they just uh, they're just such it's just such a good card
0: it's funny this is this current draft that i'm having where i was heavily Combray. i ended up taking five intrepid longhorns and had the option for a sixth and a lot of those came in pack four and so it was kind of weird where i already had like plenty of two drops and i had a like some really good ones. You know, I had the Living Example, I had two Spike Tail Kieran. And I was a lot of times I was like, you know, you can play too many two drops. And so i it was like I felt like I was trying to figure out, am I supposed to take this this intrepid longhorn because it's better than my worst two drop? But like how much better is it? Is it like really worth like spending a, a pick where you're you you know you're taking a card out of the pool so you're not like you're like making your draft better but you're not like sort of expanding your options per se you know what i mean sure um and i felt like it's kind of we've been talking about how you can get into a glut of two drops and i've really felt that and i just was like never sure when you're getting all like when you're already like oh, I'm I'm fine on two drops. And then all of a sudden you just see like these great two drops one after another. It's like, how disciplined are you supposed
1: to be? Well, the thing about Intrepid Longhorn is that if you can consistently get the things out on turn two, then you almost don't need the three and four drops after that because mm-hmm. at least one of your Longhorns is going to ramp you and then you can start making your five and six drops that win you the game. Mm-hmm. So... That's part of why there's, uh, uh, there's got to be a limit to the number of Longhorns that you play in a deck. But that limit's got to be pretty high because they, they, they bridge that awkward 3 and 4 drop gap so well yeah, just by themselves. So you can end up playing way more 2 drops than otherwise would be reasonable because you're essentially stripping your deck of, uh, of power cards and, and, and ramping up to your game-ending cards. Uh, with your two drops which is way too strong and is one of the many reasons why cambrai is is the dominant deck archetype in this format and you went seven wins with that deck right
0: i'm six and one right now
1: yeah so you got a pretty good shot and you're playing five longhorns i'm playing five longhorns yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'll bet they've been instrumental in your wins (laughs) they have been
0: because i i haven't i haven't drawn my kimmy once in my six games but uh,
1: I would say Intrepid Longhorn is a better card than Kimmy in in that it, Kimmy's a great card, but sometimes it gets blocked and killed. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Longhorn will at least take something down with it. The deck has been good, and my
0: my one loss was just like it was my the first game I played with the deck, and it was just like a continuation of my. It was like the game that broke my bad luck by just being so awful. So.
1: yeah that's how that's how it works that's how luck works
0: all right so shall we move on to our main
1: topic yes please so what are we talking about today we are talking about the choice spells Uh, these are the 10 dual faction uncommon cards in the flames of zolta expansion they each have two modes that's why they're called choice cards so you can cast them to do one thing or you can cast them to do another thing most of them have an aggressive mode and a defensive mode loosely uh, and most of them tie into the theme for that dual faction combination Uh, each of them costs two power and one influence uh, of of each of the factions they all have different effects and uh, today we are going to rank them from one to ten and discuss why they are ranked where they are uh, how powerful they are how well they tie into the themes of of that faction pairing and anything else that uh, comes to mind as we discuss them
0: so we're going to go through each of the choices one by one and we're we're going to order them in how well they've been doing in our spreadsheet in the death lists we've received And then I think we'll have a couple interesting discussions based on sort of where our personal opinion on the strength of the card differs with at least how well they've been doing so far in the spreadsheet. So number one in our spreadsheet, and I think number one in both of our opinions, is Omri's choice, which is the Cambrai choice. So that's two Cambrai. And it says, give one of your units plus three, plus three, and overwhelm this turn, or silence an attacking enemy unit and put it into the enemy hand?
1: It's a real good card. It would be good if it wasn't in Cambrai, which is already the best faction pairing. The reason for that is that it's it's very versatile, it's a strong defensive option, it's a strong aggressive option, and it does exactly what Cambrai wants to be doing, which is make mastery units, units that gain a bonus if they can successfully attack without dying, and then give them a huge advantage in combat so they can do exactly that.
0: Yeah, the card is just incredible. Incredible. It's the, I think, maybe the best
1: combat trick in the draft format currently. It it doesn't have the raw power of draw strength, and it does cost one more, but giving something Overwhelm is a very versatile Mm -hmm. thing to do. Because it gives your early units that extra boost that they need to achieve their mastery threshold. And then it gives your later units like Grodov's favored or uh, any other giant thing that you happen to make that needs overwhelm. It gives overwhelm to them. Right. So you get the killing blow with those. So it's good at any point in the game. And if there's anything problematic attacking you, uh, well, it doesn't have its abilities anymore.
0: Yes, exactly. And so... The Yeah, so your opponent's most threatening unit that you can't easily deal with. They now have to replay it, and it's silenced. So it's just a very powerful... Both both modes are very powerful.
1: I, I did want to briefly uh, talk about how Henri's Choice uh, relates to Intrepid Longhorn specifically. Okay. Because... Uh, you end up with as many Intrepid Longhorns as you want if you get into the Combray deck, is what seems to happen. Um, and there is absolutely nothing that Intrepid Longhorn wants to do more than attack for six, mm-hmm. which Omri's Choice lets it do uh, as early as it wants to. So it's almost as though the card was, was made specifically for the Dual Faction Common card in those colors, which... Uh, it is just another re- it would already be a good card but because it goes so well with longhorn combray has this really clear early game plan uh, that the cards uh, you don't have to think about it too hard this is the, the if you want as many longhorns as you can get and then you want as many omri's choices as you can get and the rest is just gravy
0: i just want to ask this hypothetical situation so it's turn 2 you play your longhorn turn yes. 3 you play another power card You have an Omri's Choice and a Longhorn in your hand. Do you Omri's Choice hit him for six and play a second, ramp yourself and then play a second
1: Longhorn in the same turn? Is there a a situation where you would do that? That would depend on what else I had in my hand and how badly I wanted to ramp to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I normally would not, I don't think, because there's a chance that that Omri's Choice also takes out an opposing unit. Uh, or something, or you can get more value out of it. Uh, right. But if there's if if I don't have the power in my hand to play my powerful cards, and I know that I'm going to win the game if I play them a turn early, then that's certainly something I would consider.
0: Okay, all
1: right. But I wouldn't want to just out of like basic draft principles and limited play <laughs> principles, where you're like throwing away a card <laughs> that could that can do a lot of things in order to do just that one thing now. So.
0: Yeah, no, I, I understand. I was just, you know, if you have, you know, a a good five drop in hand, just wondering if that sways your decision, you know, to like you say, throw away a card to ramp to it, or if it's still better to like
1: stick with fundamental draft principles and try to get value out of the card. It's a situation there there's there's more there's more texture to the situation than just that by itself, I think. Uh, right. I'd need to know exactly what I had in my hand, uh, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad play. But uh, I'd have to—I'd have to be in a very particular situation before I do it. All right,
0: all right. So the next choice card is Cairo's choice, which is the Praxis choice card, and that says: Deal three damage to an enemy unit, or put one of your units into your hand.
1: So, do you have this as number two? I do have this as number two. And so why do you have this as number two? Uh, for one thing, it's, it's removal. It's three damage removal spell in a format that generally has pretty weak removal, mm-hmm. uh, especially efficient removal like this where you can do three damage for two power. And uh, so that's always good. And uh, having the defensive option of being able to save one of your units uh, is, is nice. I don't know I mean it's a pretty basic card it does those two things uh, and it does them well Uh, and they're very versatile things to be able to do in limited either three damage or save a unit I very rarely end up using the save a unit option it's much more common for me to 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 kill something of my opponents with this and I don't know, I don't know exactly why that is. Uh, it, it's just so valuable to be able to directly kill something that uh, waiting around for your opponent to do something to one of your units and then react to that feels like the weaker option. Right.
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel like this is one of those cards where it's like ninety percent of the time you're dealing three damage to the enemy unit. And I I think that's the option that makes this card so powerful, just that this format has so few sort of deal three damage for cheap options. I mean, there's Conflagrate um, in the draft packs, but because they're in the draft packs, you see them less often. And there's really nothing in um, Flames of Zalta that really compares to, to this card.
1: I think if I saw a Conflagrate and a Kyros' Choice in the same pack somehow which is of course impossible I would take Conflagrate over Kyros' Choice because of the the seven mana kill two things option.
0: Right. No, I I I agree. I think but I think that mostly shows you just how, what a good card Conflagrate is yeah. because you know Kyros' Choice is our second best choice card. And you would still take a conflagrate over it. So, yes. I mean, I think that's a good example of just how powerful dealing three damage to something is. And, um, you know, conflagrate gets that, like, added chance of dealing three damage twice. Though, you know, you don't always hit seven power. but But I think it also kind of shows how put one of your units into your hand is really
1: maybe not that valuable. It's of not in this, this format it's not valuable in this particular uh the way that uh the way that praxis is set up in this format uh i think praxis has kind of a uh increased the power of the units in your hand theme that i've seen work really well like uh the common champion grappler is yes. a five five uh, with charge and mastery six and so it's very effective to increase the power of that thing in your hand before you play it so that it can achieve its mastery on the first turn, which makes cards like Warbrush Oni and Living Example and uh, Warpainter very good cards in the Praxis deck, specifically because they make Champion Grappler a 6-5 uh, or a 6-6 six, six before it comes down. Mm-hmm. Um, Kairos Choice doesn't really help that game plan at all because it doesn't trigger Inspire for things like Living Example and War Painter. It just puts it back in your hand. You're not drawing it. And uh, there's very few cards in, in Praxis that have an effect when they come down on the table that you want to do twice. There's Grodov's favored, uh, so I can see a world where you would save uh where you would bounce your your grodov's favored and then cast it again with kairos choice in order to silence something but that's not something you're going to do that often usually you're just going to make your grodov's favorite and then win the game with it
0: yeah that's an expensive way to silence
1: a unit it is <laughs> uh you can yeah there's not a uh, if there were more if they had designed the format so that uh fire and time units had a lot more comes into play effects then kairos choice would make a lot more sense because mm-hmm. then you could reuse that effect. But that's not really true of the way uh, of the way those decks usually play out.
0: All right. So we go to number three. So number yes. three in uh, our spreadsheet order is Voprex's Choice, which is the two stone scar. The enemy player sacrifices a unit of their choice or draw a dragon or weapon from your void. So I think this is your first area of contention, right?
1: Yeah, I don't have it ranked all that high. Uh, well, I guess I have it fourth on my list. But I should say right now that my list was very difficult to make after the first two choices. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, a lot of these orders are arbitrary from this point on. Um, yeah. So I have it as I have it as fourth, and I'm not confident at all about that. And I, this is a card that I've had a really hard time making up my mind about. It's a very strong card in Constructed, or at least it was in Expedition for a little while, because it was so important to kill. It was so important to be able to kill a turn two Varit that people were playing Voprex Choice just to get that thing off the board. But in, in Limited, giving your opponent the choice of what unit to sacrifice doesn't seem all that powerful, because there's, um, there's all those evangels running around who have already had the main effect on the game of providing you with an extra point of influence, and now just, uh, they can they can die. Yes, Uh, it's it's hard to get it's on turn two, uh, getting rid of your opponent's first threat, uh, then then it's fine, but it's not it's not strong later on in the game. At least that uh, the sacrifice option.
0: I think that's what's interesting about this card um, because I do agree that the sacrifice, letting the enemy player sacrifices a unit of their choice, does not seem inherently um, powerful. And so the fact that it's doing so well in the spreadsheet kind of makes me think that, um, you know, one of the nice parts about this card is, while it's not great to, like, kill their two-drop with your two-drop, you know, hard-to-cast-choice spell, but the fact that you can do that as one mode and then as the second mode late in the game, you know, hopefully you have a dragon or a weapon in your void to get value late in the game. So even though you're not probably killing a unit late in the game, the card still will hopefully have some value.
1: Yeah, it always has some value. It's a very limited uh, resurrection spell, though, too, since it only applies to dragons and weapons. But on the other hand, uh, giving it the ability to get back a weapon gives it a lot of versatility the resurrection spells don't always have. So... It's an interesting card that way. There's almost always something that you want to get back with it. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, so th- what's really interesting, because I actually haven't played this very many times, but I would be interested to hear, like, what's what mode is it most often cast? I
1: in. would guess the resurrection mode is the more powerful mode. Mm-hmm. I've had the sacrifice mode cast on me and limited quite a few times. <laughs> And it never feels like it interferes with my game plan that badly,
0: right? Yeah, and the fact that it can hit weapons—it's like you want to say, "Oh, so is a worse Dark Return a good card?" But it's it's different in Dark Return because it it has more options. So maybe that's worth you know spending the extra power. It's well, it has like you said, more and less options at the yeah. same time.
1: Yeah, it's very specific. It's it's specific. I think the power level is there just because the, like as it relates to Cinder Dragon, for example, which is a, a, a six power flying four four. Uh, there's nothing a Cinder Dragon wants to do if it's been killed more than just come back, and yeah. so this card does that, and so it fits into your game plan if your Stone Scar pretty well because you just want to make your dragons again.
0: Yeah, and the other card that I. Maybe I'm just like living in you know magic Christmas land, but boy, do I always want ways to get um, like a, the fell ritual dragon back.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's very good for that. Clearly, um, it's not as good as immortalize to get that card back. Like I think I probably t- play immortalize over Voprex choice every time. Yes, I agree. But, you know,
0: maybe having two <laughs> yeah. 2 isn't so bad either.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I, I feel, and that maybe I'm incorrect about this, but I feel like the right number of Immortalizers for a deck is probably two, if mm-hmm. you're playing them at all. Three feels like too many and one doesn't feel like enough so the number in the middle of those two is two and nice. if you don't have two immortalizes then a Voprex choice is fine because it also <clears throat> gives you the occasional utility if your opponent has 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 voltroned up a single unit of getting rid of that thing and uh, yeah. that'll that'll win you the game so
0: then our the, our number four choice is felrock's choice and this is your number three um, it is so, so this is the felm choice and it says, "Kill a cursed unit and draw its curses from the void, or negate an enemy spell played on you or one of your units,
1: then steal it and play it from the void." And it is a fast spell. Yes, uh, I have this ranked higher than Voprek's choice on sheer power level because mm-hmm. when this card works, it is absolutely backbreaking.
0: Yes, I was. I found it really interesting when you had this number three because. I think when you, like, read this, it reads is one of the most powerful of the choices because it kills a cursed unit, negates an enemy spell, and then lets you play it for free. Both are potentially super powerful abilities, but they're also both conditional and this is in film, which makes it, like, a lot lower in... In my opinion, I mostly just the fact that it's in film, which seems to me in my has been sort of one of my weaker faction pairings personally. And so at least the first mode, especially asks something of your deck. And so it, it feels like a
1: little bit more conditional and harder to use. It's definitely a conditional card. Uh, I mean, I mean, the condi- the conditionalness of it is is built right into the, the text of the card. And I think I have it ranked high in my, in my mind and on this list uh, because I, th- I, I think if you have it in your hand, you're going to get to cast it at some point. If you're in a curse deck, and when you do, it wins the game. And I think that's when it co- what it comes down to, is that unlike the other choices, which are less conditional, Felrock's choice ends the game for you every time you get to cast it. And so it would have to be very conditional indeed for it to be a bad card you know like it would given that uh so i I do think that it's a weirdly designed card because it's uh it it doesn't have a discard theme and primal shadows theme seems to be mainly discard both self mill and making your opponent mill and this card has nothing to do with that so Mm -hmm. it doesn't fit into the primal shadow uh like dominant game plan at all but uh, realistically, all of the good uh, draft decks that uh, where curse matters are going to be Justice, Primal, Shadow. So this, so Felrock's choice uh, fits in just fine with that, and it's probably the best card in your deck. I guess we should mention because I, I just want to keep comparing these to the to the common. Uh, this card doesn't go with Wretched Raven at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't do. It doesn't have nothing to do with that game plan. Not at all. If someone tries to kill your Wretched Raven, you can steal the spell and kill one of their units, but uh, that's about it. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, it, it is interesting how some of these seem to play better or worse with the different modes.
1: I don't know how much it, thought they put into that particular thing.
0: Yeah. But like you said, some of them seem to play like so well.
1: I mean, you know, like
0: Omri's Choice, that goes great with the Longhorn. Kyra's choice, I guess, like you were saying, pretty medium. Volprax's choice? Hey, Cinder Dragon's a dragon, so that, that sure is. Felruk's choice, again, like you said, doesn't really go well. But then we get to the number five, Sodia's choice, which is the Elysian choice card. And um, it says, Place Sandbind on an enemy unit or negate an enemy fast spell. So... The fact that this is five, I think, is very interesting because this is just, like, not a great card.
1: No, no, on sheer power level, it is not good. It does very little, and those things that it does are extremely situational. And unlike Felrock's Choice, it, it's conditional and weak. <laughs> but I have it ranked five as well.
0: And it's I, it, it has to be solely because it
1: triggers muster With one
0: card, right?
1: Yes, it triggers muster with one card, uh, and also importantly, it triggers it at fast speed. And there's very few ways that you can trigger muster at fast speed with one card. I don't even know if there are any others. There's probably at least one other. But um, being able to give your Yeti traditionalist plus two, plus two mid-combat is is good. Yeah, the
0: thing that kills me with this card, though, is your opponent (laughs) has to have a flyer.
1: No, 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 they don't. Oh, they don't. Uh, you can put sandbind on a on a card that doesn't fly. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have to. You don't have to target a flyer. You can put it on anything. Obviously, you want to put it on a flyer or something that you know in your heart wants to fly one day, and you don't want it to do that. You can always cast it. Sandbind is always a castable card.
0: This is see. This is why you're the expert on the show. <laughs> Not in a million years would I thought to have put sandbind. On a non-flying unit mid combat.
1: I mean, it's not an ideal situation. But, I know, but uh, it's it's those little percentage points that that get you to number one. Yeah, well, not this month, but uh, sometimes, yeah. Uh, I think it, it, you don't uh, clearly you don't want to do that, and it's only something that you want to do if if you feel like using Sodi's choice as a pump spell for your Yeti traditionalist or your Wanderless Kieran. But it's a permanent pump spell, you know. That's that's not the worst thing in the world to give a plus two, plus two to your creature mid combat, um, and have that be permanent, and possibly draw two cards if you have a green stretch empath. Yeah, uh, it just synergizes so well with a good elision deck that it's all. You're never gonna cut it. It's uh, it does what it does in a it it does what it does for two power, which is very difficult to achieve. Um, it's hard to achieve muster. With two power, I don't think there's any other card that can that can do that in one card for so cheap. Most of the, I think all of the spellcraft cards start at four power before they activate spellcraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them are at five, and and uh, I don't think there's any that are cheaper than four. So so this is just the the quickest and most efficient way to 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 get that done. And muster is so powerful when you activate it that it's worth playing a card entirely to do that yeah and then occasionally you you can counter a draw strength and just wreck your opponent's day uh that's not going to happen that often but sometimes
0: i think draw strength is probably the main the main target of a negate an enemy fast spell um not many
1: of the kill spells in this format are fast right no not the direct kill spells uh, a lot of the a lot of the fire damage spells are though kyra's choice conflagrate um mm-hmm. whatever the decimate one is uh, that does two damage to two different targets and a lot of the pump spells too and yeah. counter spells are so rare in this format you usually get them if you can counter something
0: mm-hmm. so now i think i think those are probably the the top 5 cards and then sort of one in a class of their own, and then these bottom five, I think...
1: These were impossible to rank for me, because I don't want to play any of them. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. there's a couple interesting ones that I'm surprised aren't doing better. One of them is, actually the number sixth one, is Geminon's Choice, which is the Skycrag choice spell. And that says, transform a unit into a 3-1 Flame Fang with Reckless or increase the damage of each spell in your hand by one." So, uh, you know, my two thoughts on this card is, one, Skycrag not doing very good in this format. So that's one reason why I could see this card not being ranked particularly high. But on the other hand, you know, as not a very good kill spell, it's a pretty good not very good kill spell. Yeah, you know, that's a complicated thought, but sure. <laughs> it's a better substitute, I think. and that's
1: It is a better substitute, for sure. Uh, yeah, a 3-1 with Reckless is a lot easier to deal with than a 3-3 with Overwhelm. But you do have to still deal with the 3-1 with Reckless. Yeah, I want to like this card more than I do. And I think part of the reason that I'm kind of down on this card... Uh, I, I wouldn't even rank it this high... But it is a transform spell that, uh, and and you, and you would think that that would deal with a lot of threats very effectively. But I find that a lot of threats in this format have weapons on them, and then it's a three one with reckless and a big weapon, <laughs> and that's not a better situation. Uh, so I think that's part of the problem. And a three one is a lot harder to deal with than like a toad, like a one one. It's not just a straight like take it out of action thing. You still have to. Uh, deal with it, and if you're in Skycrag, you might not have something with four toughness or higher uh, that can block it without trading, which means that you've used two cards to kill one card, mm. or you just race it. I mean, it, it, clearly it is a powerful effect. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure how powerful it is. Uh, I've had people transform my cards with Geminon's Choice and still won those games, and I've had difficulty dealing with this with the flame fang after i've transported somebody else's Um, and so i don't know i just haven't found it to be that effective but i've got a very small sample size in my brain because i haven't seen it played very often
0: right yeah and i think you know the fact that we're ignoring the second mode i think speaks i think also it just decreases the overall power of this card because it's not really a great backup option Increasing damage no. of each spell in your hand
1: by one. No, you need your deck built in a very specific way for that to be an option. There's only a handful of cards where increasing, where if you, where spending an entire card to increase their damage by one, is worth it. There are cards that are definitely much much better if you do that, but spending a card to do it, um, it, it is 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 rough. So yes. you have to have a deck that's full of cards like that. So Geminon's choice will be, will be good because you don't want to you don't want to cast it to make one of your spells better. You want to make more than one of your spells better, and then you're playing a limited deck with a whole bunch of spells in it and not very many units.
0: Yes, yeah. It's this is a, another interesting. I I don't know how interesting of a conversation it is, but I do think that um, Direwolf for some reason is really scared of of printing powerful plus one spell damage. There's just not very many good ones in all of Eternal. But they but what's interesting to me is that they keep printing them, and they keep printing bad ones, so they keep kind of like implying that you should be playing this deck. And like, I mean, the the common in uh, Skycrag is Wise and Crone, which is... Not a very good card, and all it really does is give... You know, it's not a great body, and it gives plus one spell damage. So it seems like they want you to play that, but then they just make all of the cards that do it so bad. I don't get it.
1: Yeah, it's curious. I think they made it very difficult to draft well. Uh, I think they made that um, that archetype very difficult to draft well. Uh, the The four power deal one to every enemy... Spell is so much worse than the two power one that did the same thing uh, a couple of a couple of formats yeah. ago. It, I mean, it's such a bad card by itself. I've seen people put it in their market if they have a smuggler, and then it's pretty good. <laughs> then it's a situational card that might be that might be very good to get rid of a board full of ravens, which is what someone did to me once. Uh, but putting it in your main deck is, is is tough.
0: Yeah, I lost to a main deck one in my uh, with my three. My 3 Unkindness deck.
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah. that's that's when, that's when all of your opponents, they get a memo to play all of their D1 Damage to Everything yeah. cards.
0: That uh, was also the first time I've ever seen Warlock Brew, Warlock's Brew, kill multiple cards.
1: Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, that's another great card to face when you're playing 3 <laughs> Unkindnesses. <laughs> it's always a good card, though. To be fair, that's a good card. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But a devastating card if you're playing nothing but Ravens. So going back to the uh, the archetype that I've liked experimenting with recently, the Skycrag <clears throat> Aggro, this card doesn't fit very well with that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, transforming a, a unit rather than just getting rid of it entirely isn't th- the greatest thing. You want to be attacking every turn if you can. Yeah. and And you have to wait for a reckless unit to get out of your way before you can take advantage of the fact that you've transformed it. Otherwise, the three ones just going to trade with something, um, and then yeah, the other the other mode uh, is such a is such a difficult one to take advantage of. At least and Crone is a is a unit on the board that has a continuous effect. Don't mm-hmm. if you draw a if you draw a damage spell while the Crone is out there, uh, it's it it's still the the Crone still has her effect, but um, with Geminon's choice, nope. You have to have the cards in hand when you cast it, which means you're sitting around waiting to reach a critical mass of cards that can gain value from that spell. Um, so you're probably just never going to do it, and it's just this sort of outside corner case. I doubt that I will ever see someone cast it for that uh, in that mode <laughs> during this entire limited format.
0: So next one is Parul's choice, which is the Huru choice card and that says, draw a curse of your choice from your deck that you haven't played this game, or give one of your units plus one, plus one, and Aegis. This is also a a pretty weird card. Um, You know, first, the draw a curse seems great, but then it adds that weird condition that you haven't played this game yet. Yeah. Um,
1: So. Yeah, it is weird. Uh, One thing, though, that makes it a little bit better is that if you have if you have a curse in your hand that you haven't played yet you can draw a second copy of that curse before you start playing them yes and i think the value of this card goes up and down pretty drastically depending on what curses you've managed to put together a lot of the good curses in the game are not actually curse cards they're created by other cards like cobalt coin makes the uh uh, makes the inferior- inferiority complex, but that is a power card. Um, there's uh, there's there's like sh- uh, sh- soothing short beak and uh, and the huru rare that that create curses when they come into play. Uh, yeah, like those are the cards that you want in your curse deck, ideally. And Perul's choice can't get them. Uh, yes. But if you have a permafrost. Then Perul's Choice is a second copy of Permafrost. And that's great. Yes. Even if you have to spend three power to to do it.
0: Yes. I, I think that's what you're ideally hoping to combo
1: combo off with with Perule's choice. Yeah. Um but permafrost is an uncommon, right? So you're yes. not always you're not gonna have them in every one of your curse decks. Uh, no, because
0: you're then relying on two uncommons to sort of set this right.
1: Set this and, up. And that's and that's happened. That's been done to me, uh, but I'm never going to do it. It's yeah. <laughs> not going to happen for me. Yeah, I think by the time I get around, like I'm never taking Karul's choice in the first pack because I'm never 100 percent sure I'm in the curse deck, and uh, and then in the so I'm sort of counting on seeing one in the fourth pack, and that's pretty um and that's you know that's just sheer chance whether that happens or not. Right.
0: Though I I will say you are probably if you're in primal drafting every permafrost you see so that's true yeah if you yeah so it's not like you're like uh it's not a chicken or the egg kind of situation where you're like or you're definitely picking permafrost so the question is whether you also see a pool's choice the the thing that kills me with this card is the second ability give one of your units plus one plus one in ages i think is also not a bad ability but it's it's like it's worse than Felrock's Choice's second ability,
1: right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. It does a similar thing, but it doesn't like devastate your opponent when you do it. I know. <laughs> like Felrock's Choice does.
0: And I think that's the thing that kills me about, about it is it's like if I, if I didn't know about Felrock's Choice, I'd be like, oh, this is pretty good. You know, you get to save your unit, make it a little bigger. So I think that's not a bad ability. But then you're like, know what I'd rather do when my unit when my opponent tries to kill one of my units? Yeah. Kill
1: one of theirs. Yeah. I like Yeah. <clears throat> if I'm leaving up two power and my opponent casts an Eviscerate, I know which card I'd like to be leaving two power up for.
0: So yeah, so again, not much to say there. I mean, I don't know. It, it like seems like a this seems like it should be stronger than it is. I think this is also for me partially. I mean, it's sh- not showing up in our spreadsheet very often, so people are agreeing with me. But I, you know, like Huru hasn't been my number one choice. A curse deck is sort of, <clears throat> you know, even a narrower option. And so the fact that the second option is pretty strong,
1: it's just how often are you really playing Parole's Choice? Uh, the card does go very well with the Marquee Common uh, for that faction combination, though, mm-hmm. which is uh, Misery Walker. And that's a, that's a 3 power 2-3 that gains Flying and Lifesteal if your opponent currently is cursed or mm-hmm. any of their units. And Perul's Choice is great if you have a Misery Walker out, and uh, it goes and gets the curse that you need to activate it, and, if, and Misery Walkers uh, constantly die, in my experience. Uh, your opponent uh, makes sure that Misery Walkers have a very short lifespan if they possibly can, and Perul's Choice can save them from that fate, and then make them a 3-4 flying lifesteal monster, which is a lot better than a flying 2-3 yes. with lifesteal. So it goes great if you happen to have some Misery Walkers and some Curses. Uh, That deck really comes together when it comes together. Uh, It's just that, you know, as you know, if you've ever tried to draft it, it doesn't always come together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so this is making me think that this is actually more powerful than we're giving it credit for. And maybe should be higher up in the rankings based on the cards, like solely on the cards power level. But
1: not even if it's not being played as often as it should be. I don't know. I think it's fair that it's down here just because uh, it's difficult to make this deck archetype work. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's more. Maybe it's easier than I think it is because I have faced it a few times in the wild and it seems very strong. The you know the curse deck does, but and uh, clearly you play Perul's choice every time if you're in the curse deck, but you also play Felruk's choice. And it's better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the curse deck.
0: All right, so next is Nahid's choice, which is the Xenin um, choice card. And that is two Xenin, play two Cultists, or play two 1 1 Cultists, or the enemy player discards a spell or sight of your choice from their hand. So this leads
1: into my bad beat story. This leads into my bad beat story. Uh, this leads into my bad beat story i have cast Nahid's choice in its second mode uh quite a few times and probably never hit anything <laughs> it's it's like there's a plot against me and uh you and it feels like people always have combat tricks and spells in their hands right up until the game where i have Nahid's choice and i don't need tokens on the board one time i cast naheed's choice on my opponent's hand to clear the way for my attack i wanted to make sure that they didn't have any combat tricks it hit nothing i wasted the spell i attacked and they had a high alert on the top of their deck and wrecked me (laughs) it was it was a sad moment it was a
0: disappointing day i never play sabotage in my deck and i don't know why you you would want to pay two power for sabotage i you guess wanna, my, you want to hit
1: those sites
0: yeah <laughs> my question though is like isn't playing two one one cultists just like su- supposed to be okay
1: it's fine yeah it's fine and it, and it suits the xenon game plan pretty well mm-hmm. uh, it's the most efficient way to make two uh two things in this format i think uh you can make... Uh, proselytize is three, and it feels like an awkward spell to me a lot of the time because yeah. it's three. Nahid's Choice does it for two, and they're cultists, and there's quite a bit of cultist synergy. And uh, so it fits into the Zening game plan really, really well. The question is whether the Zening game plan is any good. And right. I'm currently on the no train for that. I have drafted a few, a few Shadow Time decks... Uh, gotten a lot of good sacrifice synergy. Uh, I, I had cards like Nahid's Choice and Proselytize and uh, Amber Coin making free units for me to sacrifice to my other cards, uh, devour to get value. Uh, whatever the three three is that becomes a five five uh, when you sacrifice something. Have those. Have a couple of marsh dragons, and uh, so it's just, just so just an amazing amount of value, and it all adds up to nothing. <laughs> None <laughs> of that value wins the game. <laughs> what my opponent is doing, which is beating me in the face with units, is better than that. Right.
0: Yeah. I and I I think that's yeah that's the problem. It doesn't necessarily. Again, the weird part is it doesn't necessarily explain why it's doing so poorly in our spreadsheet because this is like this is saying like of the seven win Xenon ducks, barely any of them are playing Naheed's choice.
1: That's weird to me, because I feel like you always play this if you're playing Xenon.
0: Yeah. And that this is and what this is saying, the fact that this is so far down here is the Xenon ducks aren't at least winning with Nahid's choice in their deck. So yes. either they're doing something different, which I think you can do. I think, you know, uh, you know, Direwolf kind of wants a certain sort of Xenon deck, but the fact that Time is just a really good faction and Shadow has some good cards, I think you can just make a good Xenon deck without it, you know, trying to get these this value sacrifice game plan going and so maybe those are the kind of decks that are winning that don't really need um two one ones especially with so many good two drops in the format
1: yeah i think you're right about that uh part of the part of it is that you're like that deck's going to be playing Spike Tail Kirins and it's nice to be able to give plus one plus one to your cultists if you if your Kieran gets in but it's not it's not backbreaking uh, you might as well you might as well give plus one plus one to uh, to a unit with some ability or a flyer or something like that um, rather than just make your one one ones into two twos. Uh, so in number nine is Rujin's
0: choice, which is the the Rakano choice, and that says give one of your units double damage this turn or move a unit of your choice to the top of your deck
1: now i think this card deserves <clears throat> to be a little higher than it is um i guess so i guess if it's this low uh and we have had so many seven win deck lists that are in rakano that it means that it's not a good idea to put it in your seven win deck list is what it's hinting at yes uh, and i guess that's fair um i I think we i think there's I think there's a, a lot to talk about with this card about why it might be worse than it appears, yeah, I agree because it you read it and you're like, This could be good, and
0: is it good and it it, <laughs> it like it bubbles up a lot of mixed feelings in me,
1: yeah, it's always card disadvantage i think is is one of the important things about Rugen's choice. Giving one of your units double damage doesn't save it in combat if it was going to die anyway. None of your units are going to have quick draw. I mean, some of them might, uh, and so then it's very good. But it's not, uh, it's not a dominant like ability uh, in Ricano right now. Um, so, so the double damage uh, will be card disadvantage there. You're two for oneing yourself in order to kill a larger unit. Uh, sometimes you've got to do that, but still you're down a card. Uh, if you give one of your units double damage, that's going to win the game. Then clearly, that's the best mode for this because you've just won the game. Right. Um, and moving a unit of your choice to the top of your deck sacrifices one of your card draws in order to get your best unit. And I, I think that uh, I think that the the game plan for a Fire Justice deck is usually going to be Onis. And Onis are pretty redundant with each other. So right. it doesn't matter which one of them you draw. Uh, you, you just want to draw as many of them as you can and just keep loading the board up and then attack for lethal. That's Rakano's game plan. And usually your units are big enough uh, that they don't even really need help to win the game as long as you can just keep putting them on the table. So getting a specific one Is not really what you want to do especially at the cost of one of your draws
0: Uh, yeah i agree i feel like you need to have a really good unit (laughs) in order for you to want to
1: waste two cards in a sense to get it and there are a handful of toolbox units like that in those colors there's stronghold vandal which can uh which can shift to kill an attachment sometimes that's something that you really need to do there's a dragon or two. Um, there's a few things that uh that that you'd want specifically. I played a Rugin's Choice effectively in uh in a deck that was Fire Justice Time. Uh, I think I was splashing time and I had the rare uh it's the one three flying life steal thing that kills an attachment when it comes into play. Yeah, the Combray card. The Combray card. I had first picked that, and then I ended up in Recano, and I figured that was worth splashing for. Um, and so the Rugin's choice was great for getting that thing when I needed it. And that deck probably went seven wins. I don't remember now, but uh, it was worth it there. Uh, but there's that's a rare, and I think most of the cards we're talking about are rare or uncommon. There's no un, there's no common that I can think of in Fire and Justice that's so much better. Uh, Than getting every one of your draw steps that you need to put it on the top of your deck. Right. There's just not that many utility creatures in uh, in in those colors. They are just big beaters that make each other larger if they're onies. And I think the
0: other problem with this card is like the as a finisher, the give one of your units double damage. There are just other better options
1: already. And yeah. so, most pump spells are going to let your creature survive combat and also do additional damage uh, for that alpha strike. Yes,
0: so I feel I feel like the the main card I want to pair this with is Flamekeeper. Which sure. Sounds, sounds yeah. great, but when this is like the similar problem to when we're talking about Perul's choice, right? Where like you're like, wow, this card is great. If I have these two specific uncommons, and the fact that they're both an un-
1: uncommon means that that's an unlikely scenario, so yeah, so I'm not surprised it's this it's this low. I think it's a little better than that, it has some utility, but maybe it's not better than the other cards that we're talking about, so um <laughs> and it could just be like we were saying is the oni deck is just
0: so filled with redundant redundant units and it seems to at least so far be such a powerful strategy that it just might not need a card like this and therefore it's not appearing a ton
1: yeah and you're and in those colors you're not going to have any shortage of combat tricks anyway there's a ton of them mm-hmm. uh, draw strength is probably the best one but you get uh you you get you get plenty of them uh all through all four packs so Rugen's choice is just going to be the one that doesn't give your your unit an extra point of toughness and let it survive combat. So yeah, so it I might could get see cut a lot.
0: I could see this one being lower by the fact that it just it it doesn't necessarily fit in the dominant Rakano strategy. So it's not that the card is not powerful. It just it doesn't necessarily go in what people are doing in Rakano currently. Um, all right, and so we now we go to our final choice, Elo's Choice, which is the Argent Port choice. And it says, you gain three armor, or each unit gets minus one, minus one.
1: Yeah. And it is not a fast spell. It is not. I don't know what Argent Port's faction identity in this set is supposed to be at all, if this is supposed to be part of it. <laughs> There's I, no Armor Matters cards at common. Not even any weapons to speak of. I think there's that one 2-1 uh, weapon, which is really more of a muster card. Uh, it's it's a baffling card, Elos' choice.
0: Yes, and you've been harping on this a lot, but like it has nothing to do with Decimate either. Nope. Which is, for those of you who don't know, is the Argent Port common causes Decimate not to... You don't lose a maximum power if you have that.
1: Yeah, but the common is a very is a very defensive card. It's a one four for two. Uh, it's it's certainly powerful if you can can cast your decimate effects for free, um, but it it strongly implies a game plan where you hang out and accumulate value from decimate effects over time. And I don't think there's uh, the card. Uh, it's. sorry it's the it's baffling it's just so baffling that that there's almost no support for that specific strategy in the rest of the set so decimate decks end up being this weird thing that don't really work
0: yes i agree and i think yeah it's again this has nothing to do with elo's choice because this has nothing to do with decimate for some reason but like (laughs) That common does seem really powerful, and I know one of the people on Discord, at least early on in the format, uh, Jud the Homard, was talking about how much success they were having with that card, the common, uh, the one for...
1: Elo's um, is elite, I think. Yeah, Elo's is elite.
0: But, yeah, I, had, I never had success. I tried it a few times after he mentioned doing well with it, and it's just so hard to get enough decimate cards to really make it worth it and the one four for two on its own just like isn't isn't good enough if you're not right. getting the extra value
1: and so, unlike the other unlike the other themes for for the the two faction combinations set two and three obviously has absolutely no support for decimate at all yes yes
0: and this has been, I think, a common problem that uh, Eternal has had. You know, this happened last format with Shift, where you had these like Shift Matter cards, but since Shift was only in two of the four packs, it felt really hard to get a critical mass. And the same thing is, I think the same thing happens with this Decimate card with Elo's Elite.
1: Yeah, uh, I I think it's the only one of the mechanics that's completely parasitic that way. It only applies in the one set since muster can be uh, activated with a lot of different things and even spell damage. It's not the first time that we've seen uh, increased spell damage on cards. So there I don't think there's any common cards in set two and three. Uh, that increase spell damage, but there are uncommons and rares, so you can back that up if you happen to uh, be having a bad day and got into the spell damage deck. And uh, curses have always existed. So, yeah, it's really just Decimate that got that treatment. And the Decimate cards, to be fair, are very strong. Immortalize and Draw Strength are two of the best commons in the format. But I don't think they need uh, you to devote your mm. one of your, the cards in your deck to be a 1-4 that... Uh, makes the decimate effect free like they're already going to be good cards like they benefit clearly from from not reducing your max power but you're still going to play them if you don't have this card
0: yeah and that's what's and there's nothing and the the other weird part is that there's there's nothing about them that like screams like we're better when we're free Almost, you know, I mean obviously they're better when they're free, but it's but it's not like they're expensive cards or like there's something inherently that like shoots their value through the roof by being free. It's just that they're like marginally better by being free. And I feel like I can't really think of many good decimate cards that are like that, where you're just like it goes from pretty good to like back breaking if it's
1: free right it doesn't make that big of a difference so there's synergy there but it's sort of incidental synergy so you really have to want to be playing the one four for two anyway elos choice (laughs) yeah i know exactly uh so the first mode on it is you gain three armor uh weird yeah yeah uh, not a strong ability, uh, especially in a set almost completely devoid of good relic weapons. Yeah, the the only positive
0: thing I can say about this card, really, is that in that Raven deck, I also played against someone who had two Elo's choices.
1: <laughs> yeah, in their deck. They, they got the memo. They got the memo you <laughs> was... were playing a Raven deck. Put those Elo's choices in. Just for this next game, though, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when they get matched up against you.
0: But and this maybe speaks volumes about this card,
1: I still won that game. Yeah, yeah, you did. (laughs) Because they wrecked their own army, too. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Elos' choice's second mode is each unit gets minus one, minus one. It's incredibly rare for that, for there to be a board position where that benefits you uh, significantly more than your opponent.
0: Yes, it's true. I mean, the only... And this person used it this way. Um, You know, there's the... You play it, and then you play your units for the turn. But that's so specific, and the fact that since it's not a fast spell, you can't ever get a blowout with it. So your, your opponent can prepare, because the units you're then playing for that turn that don't get the minus one, minus one, it's not like... They probably don't have charge... So they're not getting immediate value. They're just like it's just they're playing slightly bigger units than your units now, but you you still have the time to
1: respond. Yeah, you get a whole turn to rebuild your board or deal with the problem that you've been given. Yeah. So yeah, and if it's your opponent a, it's... is and if your opponent is is just waiting with this card in hand and not developing the board. Uh, you're probably going to win that game because the tempo loss is just too great. Even if they absolutely devastate your board, uh, you've still got units. They're just a little bit smaller, and you have you're way ahead at that point. I just, it's very hard to imagine a situation where this is a great card. Yeah,
0: yeah, and our, our spreadsheet speaks to that because not only is this in tenth place, we have yet to see a single copy. In our two hundred and fifty-five or two hundred and seventy deck lists that we've received so far, so yeah. and this is the, this is the only choice card with
1: that distinction. Well, I mean, there it is. there there you go. It has a distinction. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nice. If in the in the Razzies party for uh, eternal cards, it's winning.
0: All right. So that was a pretty, I think, comprehensive discussion of the ten choice cards. So I hope people got something from that because there was a lot to get there. Um, but I think we'll wrap up the show here. So that's our show. Thanks again to all our patrons for making the show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons but would still like to support the show, uh, two ways to do that is one, give us a five... Three ways. Three ways you can support us are one, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show, as well as joining the Discord and joining in the discussion. So, oh, and then also a fourth way, send all your 7-win deck lists to farmingeternal at gmail.com. So anyone who's not a patron has so many ways to support us, and I recommend you do all of them. And finally, remember to keep on farming. Have a good night.